0: Under common Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. It is strange to
1: see how a good dinner and feasting reconciles everybody.
0: I'm Ian Woodworth. I'm joined by my co-host James Daly and today we are returning to our topic of food. Yes. We took a little bit of time to try and actually organize this one. (laughs) This one is not going to be the stream of consciousness episode that we had last week,
1: which I think no, but it was a really good episode.
0: Yeah, for all of its, you know, impromptu nature, it actually came out pretty well.
1: Yeah, no, I really like and I like how we rounded things out in the end. I really like what we came up with. And now hopefully we are going to be able to build up some scenarios and give you some ideas how to use those ideas today. Absolutely. And I will say that this week is my week with the Batman voice, apparently. Thanksgiving is about sharing, and apparently Ian decided to share the cold. (laughs)
0: Hey, I have not seen you in person since two weekends before Thanksgiving. I still blame you. You you can blame me all you want.
1: You gave me one of those computer virus things. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. All right, rabbits.
0: Anyway, rabbits. Rabbits are edible. We can eat rabbits.
1: Potatoes. Uh, That that was almost the quote for the week. Almost, but not quite.
0: So we're going to talk about a few different mechanical options for incorporating food into your TTRPGs and try and figure out some of how you actually might tie these in. I know, for one, I don't tend to track food stuff at my table during my games, not because I have anything against it, but just because I forget to tell my players to track it.
1: Yes, this is a thing that often <laughs> gets skipped in most games, and food and water, much like most of your video games, tend to get skipped. That said, you can definitely bring these up. This isn't probably going to be something for new players. This is going to be something for veteran players or people that have played the game, at least for a little bit that's kind of wanting a little more challenge to the game. 5e does have some rules with food we'll deal about, and even then, they're pretty light. And so They used to be more entailed in some of the older editions, and even going back to things like Fallout New Vegas or even Fallout 3, they started bringing that back as more of a thing, you know, keeping track of your food and water, uh, your radiation for Fallout. We're not dealing with radiation in this, sorry. That might be a completely different episode. But these kind of biological needs is definitely something that you can use to make the game more difficult if you're looking for a new way to add challenge without just throwing monsters at your party.
0: Yeah. If you wanted to have a survival mode sort of game, tracking food and water is absolutely the first, simplest, and most prevalent thing that you can go to for that. Because everyone has to eat, everyone has to drink. And so being able to... Keep track of that and the repercussions of not having food or drink can really add a certain gritty realism survivor aspect to your game.
1: Right. And I will talk a lot about immersion in the game and withholding food or drink to your characters is something that most people can relate to. I mean, there are various levels of being quote, quote, hungry, but I would say most, if not all of us has been hungry enough to be at least hangry where, you know, you start getting kind of grumpy and irritable because you haven't eaten that day. Again, hunger in America is definitely an issue. There are people who have gone, you know, days without meals. And that is a completely different thing. And if you've experienced that, or if you have players that have experienced that, that might be one of those things to bring up zero session for content warning. Again, I have not been hungry enough to say like have to dig into a dumpster for food, but I have been hungry enough before that the principal was going to start calling authorities and seeing what was going on type thing. So, I mean, I have dealt with hunger, not near what some other people have, and I can count myself lucky for that much. But like I said, all of us have at least been to the point, of being hangry or being exceptionally thirsty, maybe after heavy exercise or something like that. So we can relate to that feeling of hunger or thirst very viscerally.
0: So a couple of the things that we're slated to talk about, whether we actually are able to get to all of them tonight or not, is going to depend on how many rabbit trails we go down. The first one is going to be talking about, you know what? I'm not going to list everything off. We're just going to go. We're just going to do it. We're just going to do it. Let's do Just it. Just
1: buckle up and pull it out. It'll be like one of those blind bags. It's a surprise.
0: All right. So <laughs> one of the big things to think about whenever you are talking about your trail rations for your character, the things that are listed as rations in the book, the stereotypical ingredients for a trail ration, you've got hard tack, you've got a dried and or salted meat And then you might have something like nuts or dried fruit attached into that. That's the bulk of what you see called a trail ration in most fantasy games.
1: Right. And I mean, these stand to reason they're not going to spoil they're already pre-dried they're going to be fairly light they're going to have a high caloric content and again if this is something where you're trying to work with immersion for your characters in game these are actually fairly simple things you can throw out on the table for your characters you can have a bowl full of some trail mix or some nuts some dried fruit, some crackers If you really want to get into it, people like Tasting History with Max Miller has talked about hardtack and pemmican. There's a couple other food-related YouTube broadcasters that do things that deal with trail rations or military rations back in time. Definitely worth watching. And again, if that's something you want to actually physically present to your players or your table, if you are the player, and then these are fairly simple to make and, again, can add to that immersion.
0: Yeah, um, B. Dylan Hollis did a hardtack recipe On his channel. And it's literally just a four to one mixture of flour to water. You mix it together. You lay it out. You cut it into squares. Put it on a baking sheet. And you put it in a low heat oven for four hours. To just push all the water out. That's it. That is literally
1: it. It's very simple. Doesn't taste great. But very simple to make. And again, it beats starving.
0: And a very important note. That most people don't get because we don't really make and eat hardtack anymore. You don't just eat hardtack. You soak it in water first.
1: Yes. Or with that, <laughs> other- like you could use it as cooking with other things as well. But yes.
0: yes. But you have to add something to it to soften it up. Because otherwise, you will break out all of your teeth.
1: Yeah. It, you, you can, it's called hardtack I mean, you can roof a house
0: <laughs> with hardtack. Yes. <laughs> it is literally a rock.
1: I mean... If you have a halfling or kinder, you know I, I would give an improvised weapon probably a one d four, maybe a one d six with throwing. If you throw the hard tack ration at something small, I would allow it. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's about the consistency of a small hard
0: rock. Right. Yeah, yeah. little shuriken, little bread, little bread shuriken. You got going there, but there is a significant difference between a trail ration and what a soldier in an army would eat on a daily basis on the march mainly because armies have supply trains armies have wagons armies have professional cooks quite often they have people whose their whole purpose is to monitor the carts that have the food on it and prepare that food to feed the people that are marching in the army that is their entire job
1: Yes, absolutely. And again, these wagon trains, because there is going to be a higher quality of food in there, make a great target for your party if you are fighting it against an army again these make great targets because this is where you can find food and probably of a better quality than what your quote trail rations are going to be i was going to ask also if you've made it down to dwayne's world yet because i do know as of recording this the dragon queen has released from D, so i know that book is out now and i yes, believe- actually
0: i went and picked up my alternate art cover book oh, excellent that alternate art is gorgeous lord but- soft right
1: Yeah. But again, that's supposed to have the large kind of military background to this. So there's going to be that huge campaign. This might be something you want to add in for flavor. If it's already in there, I'm actually probably going to pick this up as probably a Christmas gift to myself later on. But this is definitely on my to grab list very soon.
0: So historically, you wouldn't just like make a bunch of bread and take it out into the field with you because bread Go stale and it gets moldy and it spoils. And even a really good loaf of bread only has a shelf life of about a week in ideal conditions. Right. And out in the field on the march is not an ideal condition. So, what they would typically do is they would actually bring bags of grain because the whole grain would even hold up better than the ground flour. And so, they would actually have small portable grain mills that they would take with them and they would mill the grain in the field and make the bread in the field. They'd have, you know, portable bread ovens. They were on wheels and pulled by oxen or horses or whatever beast of burden that they had. And they would bake the bread for the soldiers right there in the camp.
1: And again, jumping about YouTube channels, there is a really good one. And for the life of me, can't remember the channel, but they do talk about this with even the Roman legionaries. You know, they would get a grain allotment each day. And generally they'd have one person out of their their camp because you'd have seven to 10 people for a tent or or several tents. And they had that one person that was dedicated to literally just milling and grinding the grain each night because that's what you did. And if you did it well, then you could get better bread by the end of the day. So if you were good at it, that was your
0: job. Yeah. And that was another one of the things that really brought rise to the prevalence of the potato, Stayuki, I think Stuyaki. I I, I have no idea how to pronounce that. He's the guy who has the History of Everything podcast. Oh, okay, but the very first episode that he released was about the potato, and so if you want to spend forty-five minutes listening to a podcast about the potato, it is a <laughs> fascinating listen, and I highly recommend it. But he's talking about. I believe it was Frederick II of Prussia who really made potatoes popular, right? Because you could grow more food calories worth of potatoes per acre than you could wheat per acre. And potatoes hold up better in transport than grain does. They're easier to transport and they last longer and they grow faster. I can see Um, that. But
1: being a soldier, being tired after a march and getting a loaf of bread versus getting a potato – I'd be kind of pissed about the potato, honestly. I'd be like, damn, where's my bread? Especially if you're used to bread. I mean, there's just, you know, that warm, carby uh, bread. versus, And potatoes are great. Don't get me wrong. I'm a diabetic. I love potatoes. But, I mean, (laughs) you hand me, like, a cold, half-baked potato. Like, here's your ration, boy. Oh, screw you.
0: (laughs) But, you know, it allowed them to feed more soldiers more reliably for longer outings Yeah. Then you could by just bringing grain along.
1: And again, that said, if as a soldier, you say, hey, you can eat three days with bread or you can eat for a full week on potatoes. Give me that cold potato.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now shifting from from army stuff to individual stuff, even in a modern army, the majority of the food that a soldier is going to eat is going to be in the mess hall cooked by the cook. And it's just going to be whatever food they decide to give you. But if you're going out into the field and you're going to be out in the field and miss a meal, you're going to be taking MREs out with you. Yeah. And so, yes, an MRE is half a pound ish. It's, you know, 1200 calories in a half pound pack versus, you know, however much food you have to get in order. I think you would end up having to have like three servings of potatoes in order to, to hit that. Which is which is I think roughly a pound of potatoes. That's not too bad to hit.
1: I mean I could sit down with mashed potatoes (laughs) beside.
0: But let's be completely honest, if you're going on a 20-mile march, which would you rather have a half pound MRE or a pound of potatoes? MRE, just for flavor. And not even that, but you know, compound this over like make it a four-day march. Right. Would you rather have two pounds of MREs or four pounds of potatoes? Right. That two pounds doesn't sound like a whole lot, but whenever you're carrying it for four days, it, it adds up real quick.
1: It does add up. And again, there is a certain amount of joy in eating, again, something with flavor and a little bit of variety versus the potato. And again- <laughs> huge fan of potato, but we're not getting good potatoes out in the field, boys and girls. We are getting maybe half-baked potatoes. If no, you're lucky, if are, you're an officer, you might get a little bit of margarine or butter.
0: <laughs> you are probably going to get potatoes that have been cubed and boiled.
1: Yes. But again, this leads to the spell we talked about last week that's very overlooked, but prestidigitation. And one of those aspects of the spell is you can make your food taste amazing. And morale is a thing. So if you can use the spell to maybe do a morale... Which which again, morale checks is something I would like to probably discuss up within the next year is the morale of your NPCs or your PCs or how that works. But again, eating gruel every day versus eating food that you're excited about makes a huge difference.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. But I keep starting and then missing the target that I'm aiming for. Um, (laughs) I guess what I'm going for is you're going to end up having a more diverse menu, if you will, From food that you can get that has been prepared in bulk than you are from a typical trail ration. Right. Because a trail ration is not designed for any sort of flavor aspects. It's not designed for ease of consumption. It is literally, how can we fit the most calories into the least amount of weight?
1: This is to keep you not dead and functional. That is all for
0: the longest period of time. Yes. Because they have to be stable for long periods of time. Right. So yeah, those are the things that you end up having in a typical trail ration.
1: Right. And so again, these are things to consider as your party goes. It's like, Oh, well I picked up 10 days of rations. Okay. And so you can sit there and describe this to your party. You're doing this. You're hungry. So, you know, again, you have the Druid cantrip with a good berry, which is a great spell, but you know, is that tiny little berry, better than your trail ration? Is it more fulfilling? Does it make you feel overall better? Because it is a magical item. Maybe it does bring some of that comfort of having eaten. Maybe it makes you feel full and comforted versus that trail ration, which is going to be hard and it's going to make your mouth dry. And it's going to sit very dense on your stomach. And again, you can describe these elements of experience to spark your player's imagination.
0: Yeah. And there's a reason why in most fantasy and medieval media, There's a reason why they're sitting around a cook pot around the fire at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's because, A, if you are getting your water, you darn well better boil it before you try (laughs) drinking it because you don't know what's in there trying to kill you. Right. And B, if you're going to have a kettle of boiling water anyway, you might as well throw your hardtack and your salt pork into that water anyway and make yourself a soup
1: right and again if you're working with a party and you have someone like a ranger or a druid or someone with survival skill perhaps they can take time and it would take time for your party's movement but they can hunt or forage and they can bring something more palatable or nutritious in and again this kind of goes back with some of those underutilized skills in D D, because again we really do largely skip the exploration and travel portions of a lot of games nowadays
0: yeah and so i got to thinking a little bit what are some other things that you can throw into a trail ration? Okay. Other things that would fit under the criteria of being lightweight, calorically dense, and stable for long periods of time at variable temperatures. Okay. And so I came up with a couple of options. The first one would be mushrooms. Absolutely. Mushrooms, admittedly, aren't terribly calorically dense, they have about the same number of calories per pound as most of your vegetables like squash and your green leafy vegetables like kale and spinach, but they are easily dried and reconstituted. Yes. So they are very lightweight and they're also a great way to get macronutrients, specifically (laughs) vitamin D.
1: Yes. Also a good way to transport protein. I mean, you could do dried meats as well for this, but your dried meats are most likely going to be a lot more expensive. So this would be a much cheaper way to get that. And again, we can talk about what happens if you are starting to miss vital components of your diet.
0: Yeah, and I ended up falling down a rabbit hole of deficiency diseases. Oh, I love this rabbit Uh, hole. We definitely (laughs) need to get into
1: those because I think what you did with that was beautiful.
0: We're going to touch on some of them here in a little while, but we're not going to go through all of them because, dear Lord, (laughs) that would turn this into a three-hour episode. But vitamin D, the primary way you get vitamin D is sunshine, sunlight. The microbes in your body naturally produce vitamin D when you are exposed to sunshine. That is why people in extreme northern latitudes have to take vitamin D supplements in the wintertime because they don't get enough sunshine.
1: All I heard is DMs, give your players the D.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so if you're going to be in a situation where they're going to have plenty of sunshine, vitamin D deficiency isn't going to be a thing. However, if you're going into the Underdark...
1: Yeah, I was going to say, if you're spending two weeks in a dungeon or a cave... uh, It
0: would take a little more than two weeks to start really feeling the effects of a vitamin D deficiency, but yes. But the main thing that vitamin D does is it helps your body absorb calcium. So whenever you don't have vitamin D, you don't absorb calcium, and so your bones start to soften. Right, You. And that is also why vitamin D is added to dairy, at least in the United States. I don't know about elsewhere in the world, but... It is just about typical for any milk that you buy in a grocery store to have vitamin A and vitamin D added to it.
1: This would be pure camp, but I would totally do this for a party in the middle of a dungeon, and that's where the gelatinous cubes came from. They were a previous party. (laughs) They ran out of vitamin D. Their bones got soft. They all turned into gelatinous cubes.
0: (laughs) But it would also give you a reason why, like, In dwarven culture, why mushrooms would be a very important foodstuff. Yes. Because that would be the way that they are getting vitamin D into their body because they're not out in the sunshine all the time.
1: (laughs) I'll just leave the jokes alone. We're going with it. Okay. (laughs) Moving along.
0: (laughs) moving along. Another food item that is fairly lightweight and really shelf-stable is beans. Dried beans have roughly twice the calorie load of hardtack. The downside is it takes a really long time to cook dried beans. That's true. However, if you are already carrying the beans and you're already carrying the water and you're already carrying the cook pot, what you do is at the beginning of the day, before you leave, you put your beans and your water in your cook pot. You throw a piece of rawhide over the top and you lash the lid down so that it doesn't leak. And you just let your beans soak all day. And by the time you hit camp at the end of the day... All you have to do is build your fire, you set your kettle on, and your beans start cooking.
1: And then you roll that constitution check for fireball. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, I am quoting Blazing Saddles in that one, boys and girls. If you've not seen Blazing Saddles, it is a wonderful, terrible old movie. A lot of the jokes do not translate to modern times, but there is the infamous eating baked beans and campfire scene. I will let you draw your conclusions from there. (laughs) Let's
0: be 100% honest. If anyone other than Mel Brooks had made that movie it would not have flown.
1: Probably not.
0: (laughs) That movie only became successful because Uh, it's a a Brooks movie. movie.
1: Yeah, I could see that. It is funny. But again, a lot of the humor does not translate. I've not seen it since I've been little. And even now, and I know now looking back, a lot of that humor does not translate to today. But it's an interesting film. I don't know if I would flat out suggest it or not. I think it should be experienced just to experience. But do so, again, viewer discretion advised.
0: All right. And then the last thing that I would really suggest including would be teas. Okay. Because it's a great way to flavor your boiled water because water tastes funny after you boil it. And you can also add micronutrients that you need to actually, you know, survive and thrive.
1: Honestly, with various teas, them being herbal, if your characters had something like an alchemist kit or something like that, or again, had a medicine check, I would even offer, depending on the tea, maybe a plus one to constitution or dexterity or strength. As you know, you do have stimulant teas, you have caffeine, you have, you know, Mao Hong or ephedra, things like that. Possibly even maybe a 1d4 healing extra for maybe an extra hit die to roll, depending on what they decide to make the tea out of.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that sort of herbalism has been a very common thing for the majority of human history yes modern pharmaceuticals are a very very new thing and so a lot of medicine throughout the ages has just been herbal remedies it's knowing what herbs to use in what concentrations for what ailments
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And so having herbal healer, druid or a ranger would make a lot of sense for the party, especially if you were doing a lot of wilderness play. Great way to roleplay. Great way to bring in some interest, especially if you happen to be maybe a biology or medicine geek, because heaven forbid, you know, we have some of those in the D&D world. Nobody would ever play those. Right. So, yeah, this is a good way to kind of bring that extra knowledge to the table, which can be a lot of fun and very educational. Another thing going on with the beans, I think rices would be a good way to pack in some extra calories as well. Rice tends to be calorically dense as well. Yes. And again, a bit easier transport than a lot of your other cereal grains as well.
0: Yeah. And again, that's another one of those things where all you really need to do is take it and you drop it in some water and you just let it go. Let it cook for a little bit. Yeah. And when it's done, it's done.
1: So, I mean, we've got these things, we've got these troll rations, we've talked about food, we obviously all have the desire to eat, we all know that feeling of how we get when we don't eat, but if your players decide to spend all their gold on that extra shiny armor or that plus one magic sword, and they make the ill-fated choice to neglect food, how can we make them pay for it?
0: All right. So 5e does have starvation rules. Per the 5e rules, you must consume at least one pound of food per day to avoid starvation. Eating less than a pound of food in a day counts as a partial day of going without food. So if you only eat half a pound of food, it counts as half a day without food and will compound. So going four days with half a pound of food a day mechanically is the same as going two days without food okay under eating is still a hazard it's still yes. you can stretch it out but it's still a hazard that you have to be aware of. i
1: mean again too we've all had days where we've skipped meals and we've all had days where we've just had the one meal and you can't do that long-term and feel okay especially if you're being fully active
0: right especially if you're you know doing what a typical adventuring party Party is doing yeah you know walking 20 30 miles a day
1: walking 20 30 miles a day i mean even just fighting if any of our listeners here have done something like wrestling or mixed martial arts or boxing those kinds of physical activities if you've not done it before will drain you extremely quickly i wrestled for a year and a half thereabouts and you know i played football for three years i wrestled for a little bit i did track and for a year, and I can easily say wrestling was the most exhaustive of those sports. It saps your strength so incredibly quickly, you don't really realize it until you're in the middle of it and you're done. And you're just like, I feel like I ran four miles and I was wrestling for a three minute round. You know, it's amazing,
0: right? Yeah, so mechanically, you can go three plus your con mod days without food before you begin to starve. At the end of that period, you get one rank of exhaustion and then you get an additional rank of exhaustion for each subsequent day that you don't eat.
1: I like that. It gives me the mental image though. It's funny is, you know, you really think like you'll have the tiny frail wizard that generally has like a con of seven. So they've got a negative two to their constitution modifier. And so they literally have to eat every three days or per this every day. They have to eat that where you've got the big fat barbarian who's got, you know, a 19 con, So he's got the plus four. And he can go a week without eating any food. And so it's really that tiny wispy mage that's guzzling down all the food. And he's real thin and it's like, you and your stupid metabolism.
0: Right. (laughs) Now, personally, I'm inclined to change this a little bit. Okay. I'm good with the requirements for the first rank of exhaustion. Three plus con mod days. Where I would change it is for each following day, you have to roll a con save. DC 10 plus the number of days... Since you got that first rank of exhaustion, if you succeed on that con save, you don't get another rank of exhaustion. If you fail, you do. I like that. But the DC increases every single day, whether you succeeded or not. Okay. Yeah. Because that gives us more of, you know, that survival adage. You can go three days without water and three weeks without food. Yeah. You know, it gives you that opportunity to stretch that out a bit.
1: I like that. And again, it does kind of ramp up that feel of impending or building dread as well. You know, we have to find food. So at that point, do you start trying to scavenge for food? Do you start looking for food elsewhere because you're in the middle of the desert and you forgot food? So now... You know, now you're really rolling those nature checks or you're really trying to figure out getting those players to kind of get that frantic feeling because they should because, again, their bodies are dying. They are wasting away and it shouldn't be like, oh, yeah, I haven't eaten in a week. Okay, let's fight again. Let's roll the next thing. No, they should be focused more and more on this imperative biological need.
0: And it also allows you to bring up moral quandaries, because if you're that hungry and you just killed somebody, are you going to eat them?
1: What does the term settler imply, if not the willingness to settle, to settle for a warm meal? <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. So this works especially well with the new 1D and D exhaustion rules that they came out with in the playtest, because now rather than having six ranks where, you know, first rank of exhaustion, you have disadvantage on ability checks and attack roles, I think, and then it's, you know, half your movement speed disadvantage on saving throws instead of having this convoluted list that you always have to look back at the list in order to figure out what your rank of exhaustion does to you. They made it to where for each rank of exhaustion you have, you take a flat Minus one penalty to any d20 roll. So that's your attack rolls, your ability checks, your saving throws.
1: I like this because, again, the way, as you said, exhaustion was a bit convoluted. It was a little harsh as well. So people tended to avoid exhaustion. And I think this is definitely a mechanic that could get a lot more use. And so making it a little more user friendly and not quite so severe, I think people are more likely to bring this back to the table.
0: And also, you now die at 10 stacks of exhaustion instead of six. Okay. So, yeah, it gives you that ability to stretch it out so that with these rules, even if you failed every single con save, it would take you nine days of failed con saves to starve to death. That sounds about right. So let's say you had a con mod of zero. It would take you 12 days to starve to death. Okay. Which, I mean, that isn't go three weeks without food, but... Let's be honest, in a survival situation, that going three weeks without food, that is staying alive, that is not staying functional.
1: Right. Again, we're going to summon Jesus on this one, and and we're going to go ahead and say Jesus, of all people, is probably, you know, a level 20 cleric. We'll just go ahead and throw that out. And he barely made 40 days. So, again, if you're going to have a deity walking the plane as a level 20 cleric. And he can go 40. Going 19 to 12, fair for most players.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right.
1: No, I like this. And I like this build for things. And so I think, too, there are ways we can add to this besides this negative one. And again, I think this kind of leads into some of your other stuff is if you haven't eaten or if you've not eaten the correct things, you can start pulling up deficiencies and we can start homebrewing. Ian went ahead and he actually threw up some wonderful ideas about how to homebrew some of these deficiencies. I would also bring into question, you know, we talked about different cultures or different races and creatures are going to eat different things. And so if you are that halfling, maybe you are at Verdigris, and you stop into the Dragon Board Cafe and they're sitting there cracking open these giant beetle looking things and eating the innards and they've got these giant piles of... rotten maggoty pickled meat that they're loving but it's so far away from your culture i'd say some things like that you might have to roll a constitution or a will save to even be able to stomach it because again if you eat something so culturally or rationally outside of your normal that can be a weird thing and just the thought of something like that while they might find it a delicacy might make you outright sick
0: Right. And that is also a thing, you know, physiology. You know, Dragonborn is going to have a more reptilian physiology than a halfling is. Right. So what reptiles can eat and what mammals can eat aren't always the same things. Let's take caffeine, for example. Caffeine is a neurotoxin. Most smaller creatures cannot take caffeine because it will literally fry the synapses in their brain and kill them.
1: Yes. Do not feed the halflings caffeine. Do not give them the double espresso. It might be fun to think to see a halfling hyped up on caffeine. It probably won't work.
0: It'll turn that halfling into the cocaine bear. (laughs) That halfling will be the most dangerous apex predator on this or any plane for about 75 minutes. And then their heart will explode.
1: I want to see a raging halfling (laughs) barbarian on Caffeine High. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. The other thing I think would be a great twist for a DM to throw at his party is the party, you know, they stop out of town and they buy field rations, they buy MREs or whatever, but they buy it from... A kobold, a dragonborn, an ogre, an orc, something off species for them, some sort of monstrous race. And so they're like, yeah, this is what we eat. So they give it to them. And when they open up these meal packs, it is something completely unedible to them. Yeah. That would be a wonderful curveball to throw. And again, this would be definitely for a more advanced party. But oh my God.
0: And you know, you would only have to do that once.
1: Yep. And then they're checking every time
0: after that. They, It'd be wonderful. Yeah, and then they would check that ration pack every single time. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, as James mentioned, talking about some malnutrition and deficiency diseases, you can use the same sort of mechanical system as starvation for these. Just stretch out the time frame of it. Let's say if you only eat trail rations or the food created by create food and drink, which is a flavorless gruel that just it's basically just a pile of calories,
1: but a five by five cube of it. I think it is a
0: five by five cube of calories. I'm yes.
1: Pretty sure that's Aaron's summon hot oatmeal. I'm pretty sure it that's is. What that is.
0: <laughs> it is. It is our friend Aaron's conjure oatmeal. Yes. Because let's be honest, a five by five cube of hot oatmeal is going to do some unsavory things to yes. people. It drops on. Yes. But if you eat this food, say for, seven plus con mod days and that's the only food that you eat then i would start starting at dc 10 con saves And each time you fail a con save, pick up one rank of one of these deficiency diseases.
1: I'm not saying you have four of them here, but, you know, a 1d4 roll would be kind of perfect.
0: Well, I mean, I found more. I only did four as my examples. But
1: I mean, that's the thing is you can make a fairly simple table for this and figure out what they're going to start suffering from.
0: Yeah. And depending on what is in their trail rations, some of these might not be an issue. Right. And some of them might be more obvious choices. So the ones that I picked up, the first one is anemia. Anemia is an iron deficiency. Basically, your body can't keep producing red blood cells because it doesn't have enough iron to keep making red blood cells. It causes weakness, exhaustion, shortness of breath. You typically get this from like red meat and dark green leafy vegetables like spinach, along with some legumes and seafood.
1: Right. The lack of these things, not for eating them.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Sorry. I'm talking <laughs> about the thing. These are the things that you can get dietary iron from. Yes, okay. And so the way that I have it here, if you get anemia, for each rank of anemia you have, you suffer one rank of exhaustion.
1: I can see that. I would almost be willing to maybe reduce your movement speed by five feet per turn. Because, again, you are going to be slow and sluggish.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe,
1: maybe, maybe that that would be a flavor thing, but I could see that as a workable possibility as well.
0: And again, I'm capping out all of these at five ranks. Yeah. So that even if you're playing with the five E rules where six ranks of exhaustion kills you, you know, having five ranks of anemia, it'll make you unconscious, but it won't kill Kill you outright. Right. Next thing I had is scurvy. Scurvy is probably the most familiar one to everyone on this list. It's a vitamin C deficiency. It's the reason why sailors in the 1800s started carrying lemons and limes and oranges, started carrying citrus fruit on their ships. It's
1: why you fruit the beer.
0: It's why you add lime to your rum drinks. And what happens with scurvy is it affects your ability to clot and so your gums will start to swell and bleed. Wounds that you have that are starting to heal up will start to open up again. It's real nasty.
1: It can be extremely nasty, yes.
0: So with scurvy, your wounds bleed more and they're harder to heal. So for each rank of scurvy, you take one additional point of damage when you take bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing damage, or if you suffer from an effect which causes you to bleed. Additionally, your max hit points is reduced by one per hit die, and any healing you receive is reduced by one for each rank of scurvy you are suffering from, including magical healing and health recovered by spending hit dice.
1: I love this one too, and if you're running a pirate campaign or maybe Spelljammer, or something, or you're going to be away from port for long periods of time, I would absolutely add this mechanic to your game. Throw a scurvy at your characters, do it and see how they react because it'd be amazing. And again, it brings into them that feeling of the cost of being away from resources and cities and it's going to make things. I mean, yeah, the treasure ship might be a ship coming in from somewhere just bearing a ton of citrus. You know, that might be a wonderful treasure that might be more valuable to them than gold or magical items at this point, depending on the party health.
0: And it also gives the party a reason to stay in town once they get to town. Yeah. You know, we have to stay here for at least three days to eat normal food and recover from all of these deficiencies that we have.
1: And I mean, that's definitely some good downtime working. And again, the DM can work various things for that downtime. And if they are more inclined to be murder hobo and just out and out and out and you wanted to focus more on the town or more on role play. Again, a wonderful mechanic.
0: All right. Next one is Ricketts. Uh, Rickets is a vitamin D deficiency. I talked about this a little bit earlier. Vitamin D is required for calcium uptake to build your bones. And if you don't have vitamin D, your bones will start to soften and become brittle. People who suffer from Rickets long-term tend to end up bow-legged because the weight of their body causes their bones to flex out. And so it distorts the shape of their bones. So with Rickets... Your bones soften and become more brittle. For each rank of rickets, you take an additional one point of damage whenever you take bludgeoning or force damage, and you suffer one additional point of fall damage per damage die. So basically, everything that is going to affect grandma with her osteoporosis.
1: Right. Now, my uncle wrote a book. My uncle, my stepmom, their family there, they grew up in Central California as ranch workers and migrant farm workers. They were very poor growing up. My uncle was the eldest of them. And he has in his book, he was eight or nine at the time and he got sick and he was actually diagnosed at the time with rickets because he was being malnourished because the family was poor and they just didn't have enough money to properly feed everyone. And so he wound up having to spend two or three months with his grandparents getting properly fed. And he writes how he felt bad because he was getting sausage and biscuits and gravy and chicken every night and he knew everyone else was being hungry but again this time where it is something that you can cure with downtime and proper nutrition but it can have some very very severe effects long term if you don't take care of it
0: yeah and additionally i have at ranks one three and five Your movement speed is reduced by five feet until you can be healed by a greater restoration or heal spell.
1: I like it. And I think that greater restoration or heal spell might work with most, if not
0: all of these. Yeah, but I mean, that would completely eliminate the disease right it's magical healing yeah actually i think lesser restoration will cure diseases okay so the greater restoration is because you are literally undoing the The damage physical damage the skeletal damage that you're taking from the disease
1: i get that yeah well i think with things like anemia maybe not so much but definitely the scurvy because your body will, to a point, start to consume itself to get those extra nutrients.
0: Yes. And I might even change that instead of ranks 1, 3, and 5, be ranks 3, 4, and 5. So just you have to hit the advanced stages of the disease before you four. start getting those stronger effects. Okay. That
1: would make sense too.
0: And then the last one that I did anything for is goiter. Goiter is an iodine deficiency. It's the reason why iodine is added to table salt. And basically what it does is it makes your thyroid swell to the point where if you have goiter, you're talking about a thyroid going from the size of a ping pong ball to the size of a softball.
1: Right. You can hop online and look up goiter. It was an issue in Appalachia, particularly like Southern Pennsylvania into West Virginia for a very long time.
0: Yes. And because of how prevalent it was, especially in lower income families. That is the reason why the government, I'm pretty sure it was a government mandate, mandated adding iodine to table salt because table salt was the one thing that you could guarantee just about everybody was going to get. Right. And it was the way to incorporate it into the diet of everyone that needed it, and it's in such a small concentration that it's not going to affect the flavor of the salt. You're right. not going to be able to taste it.
1: Yeah. And again, iodine being a halogen too much like chlorine, it's not going to go. You can get sodium iodide at points where, eh. so, I mean, if there is some mixing in there, it's not going to be anything too far off. So, I mean, iodine right. fits very well with sodium chloride. So there's a lot, a lot of different reasons why it works with salt, but it was a, fairly simple and inexpensive fix that said your spin on it how to affect players was ingenious and i was very happy when i read that
0: okay so because basically what it does is it swells your throat and it makes it difficult for you to speak it makes it difficult for you to swallow makes it difficult for you to articulate and so for each rank of goiter that you have you take a minus one penalty per rank on all ability checks that rely on you speaking Additionally, if you attempt to cast a spell with a verbal component, you must first succeed on a con save DC 10 plus the number of ranks. If you fail, the spell goes awry. You can decide for yourself whether that means that the spell fizzles and fails, that it goes off, but it doesn't affect the target that it's supposed to, or that you just have a wild magic surge.
1: Okay, that works too. I mean,
0: you can do with that whatever you want. Right. I think the safest thing would be to just have it fizzle. Fizzle, yeah. That doesn't always make the most interesting thing at the table.
1: No, it doesn't. Again, depending if you want safe or fun. <laughs>
0: All right. So now that we've touched on those a little bit, another thing that you could even do with this con save sort of thing is food that is a little bit past its prime, you know, slightly spoiled food. And because, you know, there are a large number of accounts especially people who are going through famines or people who are living through sieges.
1: I could see that. Even if you have these trail oh. rations, like we mentioned before, and you have to ford a river or maybe someone through create water at you and the party was somehow drenched with water. And now these very, very dry foods have gotten moisture and they can start to mold or grow bacteria or spores within them. Again, a very possible and probable effect of this to happen uh, again, food spoilage, is a thing when you get that green layer of fuzz on your bread it's time to throw it out.
0: <laughs> yeah, but the people who don't have anything else to eat don't have the luxury of just throwing it away. Right. Right? And let's be honest, what did you think was going to happen when you ate those trail rations that have been sitting in the bottom of your bag for the last <laughs> 8 levels?
1: Absolutely. So so tied into this something I absolutely plan to do this winter break since I am off Is One of the things I discovered this past semester in reading is that the uh, blue cheese, which is a molded cheese, but Stilton blue cheese, which is an English blue cheese, apparently is psychotropic if you eat it at a certain level. It's like more than two ounces within an hour before bedtime. It's supposed to give you like some extremely weird, vivid dreams. And so that is my goal during my break is I'm going to go purchase some moldy blue cheese, choke it down because God only knows how it tastes. I love cheese, but this sounds vile and see what kind of dreams I get out of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've heard various tales regarding different cheeses and uh, lucid dreaming. Yes. Specifically. I can tell you as someone who on occasion just has three or four nights in a row of lucid dreaming, there is nothing more exhausting than a night of lucid dreaming.
1: Oh, I I totally get that. And this is why I've waited till my semester break. And then I'm going to just go and roll me a full good contract. I will let you all know how it happens.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Once, maybe twice a year, I will have a period. I don't know what causes it. I have yet to figure out what the stimulus for it is. But once or twice a year, I will end up having a period of three or four nights in a row where I just lucid dream. Oh, that sucks. I am laying in bed, aware that I am asleep, aware that I am dreaming, able to walk around in my dream and manipulate my dream and make my dream do whatever it is I want, except I can't actually drift off to sleep and get rest. Ah, oh, that sucks. It is terrible. Anyway.
1: Moldy food. Nice anyway, cheese. moldy
0: food. Um, <laughs> so the same concept would apply to eating Undercooked or improperly prepared foods. Here's looking at you, medium rare chicken crowd. (laughs) That is disgusting.
1: That's a dragonborn thing.
0: That is a way to get salmonella.
1: That's a dragonborn thing. I'm just throwing cook your chicken. That's a dragonborn thing. Well, yeah,
0: because they're reptiles, they can do that.
1: Yeah, maybe the turtles.
0: But if you're a person, if you are a person, cook your chicken.
1: (laughs) I just like mine with the good Philadelphia blue we're going to get and, that's what it is
0: oh yeah oh no no we are, <laughs> we are not going to take our chicken and wave it at a flame and then eat it
1: that's okay absolutely not
0: <laughs> because because you said philadelphia first and that yeah. based off of our previous conversation about blue cheeses philadelphia you takes me to cream is? cheese yeah so i mean that's that's weird <laughs> that is weird But no. But not wrong. I mean, I'm sure that that is right for someone. It is not right for me. Fair enough. Pittsburgh blue on a chicken is wrong for everybody. (laughs) It's just wrong. I will put my foot down and say that. (laughs) Anyway, back on top. Sometimes you're not going to have access to the first level spell Purify Food and Drink. So you can't always make your food inherently safe. Before you cook it, or, you know, even if it's something that you don't cook, sometimes you just have to roll the dice. Excuse the pun. (laughs) Although this did bring up an interesting question that we don't necessarily have to address here because this might be a 15 minute tangent. If something is inherently toxic, say nightshade or hemlock and included in the food. Would casting purify food and drink on it make it non-toxic?
1: I would not think so. No, because purify food and drink just makes the food pure. So, I mean, the food itself. But if you had a poison added to the food... But
0: the text of the spell says it removes all poisons and diseases.
1: Hmm. Then per the text, I'd have to say
0: yes. Yeah, that's something where we could get into a philosophical debate. I am inclined to agree to your first position... That because they are inherently toxic to people, right? Just by casting this on them, it wouldn't necessarily clear it because I, it's in its natural state.
1: I'm just really curious now because I know like people add like lavender or rose hips or things like this to their flour to like their cookies and stuff to make really good food. So like if you added belladonna to a
0: cookie. well, belladonna and tiny doses is psychotropic i was unaware of that but okay that makes sense too but yeah it's it's when you get to higher dosages that it'll kill you
1: (laughs) and again you talked about nightshades so a nice weird twist that your tomatoes and potatoes are also in the nightshade family so we eat nightshades all the time at least i do
0: (laughs) anyway continuing on so if the food is expired or hasn't been properly prepared i would say force a con save
1: oh sure expired by Ogre standards.
0: (laughs) Uh, So the con save could be varied depending on how expired this thing is. Right. So like a piece of bread with a couple spots of mold on it would have a substantially lower DC than a piece that is entirely green and fuzzy. And a piece of meat that just smells a little off would have a much lower DC than one that is crawling with maggots.
1: Unless you're Dragonborn.
0: (laughs) Unless you're Dragonborn. Yeah. And if you fail the DC, you would become poisoned for four hours per point below the DC your con save was. I like
1: that. Your sickness depends on how far you failed it by. If you've ever had the wonderful experience of food poisoning.
0: It isn't wonderful. No, it
1: is not. It is a very exhausting experience. It is worse than being normal sick. It's
0: bad. There's a reason why it's called Montezuma's Revenge. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But yeah, so you fail by a little bit, you're sick for four hours. You fail by a lot, you're sick for two days. Yes. And I think I have personally had both of those. I have had food poisoning that has just been, you know, run through my system and done. And I have had food poisoning where I felt like I'd been hit by a truck and oh. couldn't do anything for two days
1: i think the worst quote quote, and I, I wouldn't even call it food poisoning i think it was just outright poisoning but again growing up in central california there was a lot of agriculture and i was eating tomatoes off the tomato plants and i i hadn't known that they just crop dusted like an hour or two before and i did not take the time to mm. wash the fruit and i was violently ill for about two days it was yeah extremely that would do unpleasant it.
0: that would do it and so this is also a point where I would storyline wise give a boon to any PC that took the chef feet, because if you take the chef feet, I would allow them to just automatically be able to identify potentially dangerous foods and know how to prepare them in a way that would minimize the risk to the consumer.
1: I like that. I would also give a bonus or let people roll maybe a medicine check if they had to try to decide if it was edible or to try to select the best pieces or least toxic pieces. A good medicine, possibly a wilderness check, but I would lean far more towards the medicine.
0: Yeah. Medicine or nature. Yeah. You know, using nature is that would be a medicine for wisdom, nature for intelligence. I like it. But the mechanical aspect of it would be if someone with the chef feet is preparing this, you reduce the con save DC by an amount equal to the chef's proficiency bonus.
1: Okay, I like that. No, and that's good because, again, if you are in something like a siege campaign and your food options are limited, that could really make or break an encounter.
0: Yeah. All right. While we're on the topic of the chef feat, we can get into something that James brought up before, food as a reward. Yes. Sometimes you kill something and you want to know what it tastes like.
1: Sometimes you're just curious.
0: Sometimes you're just curious.
1: I knew that was one of Shen's things. One of Shen's personality traits with his role was that he saw food and things that other people wouldn't. And very often he would grab a haunch or whatever and just throw it in his bag.
0: Yeah, and that's why I did an entire combat drunk because I ate a bunch of fermented shrimp. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's a kobold and he had a, you know... It's also why you got attacked by the
1: crocodile because you had some good stuff in your (laughs) pack.
0: Yeah, I I did. I had uh... (laughs) a... I had a giant rat haunch. I think yeah. it was.
1: That's that, been rotting in there for a couple days and it was raining. And then they <laughs> the crocodiles. They wanted it. They, they were on it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then it bit me and took half my hit points. And yeah. then I punched it to death. In one round. <laughs> that was
1: a, that was a fun game. That was a very, but again, these yeah. are things you can do with food. If you have food spoiling in your packs, are you going to start attracting other animals or predators or scavengers? Because they are going to smell this. If you have even fresh food, again, you are, Might start attracting wildlife or other hungry things because hungry is universal.
0: And, you know, touching on something that you brought up in last week's episode, maybe eating the flesh of a dragon will cause you or your progeny to manifest sorcerous powers. Possibly. Or possibly it would allow you to gain a short-term resistance to that dragon's affinity type. So if you eat a red dragon, you get fire resistance. If you eat a white dragon, you get cold resistance. I could see that.
1: And I could see that too, story-wise, that if you were to add this to your campaign, maybe the first couple times you eat it, yeah, you get this little benefit. But if you made a lifetime of feasting on this dragon or this particular type of meat, maybe it would have a longer long-term effect so you know a society or a village that fed on this continually for years would start getting these draconic type powers versus something where they get maybe a little bit of a flesh and maybe it makes your mouth tingle at first and then they start getting some cold resistance and then they start getting something else and something else and it slowly changes them over time
0: yeah borrowing from vampire the masquerade maybe eating the flesh of a vampire will impart a portion of its powers onto you i like that yeah. Maybe this would be a good way if you had a PC that wanted to become a vampire but didn't want to be enthralled to a vampire. Ooh, I could see Because that. if I recall correctly, if you stake a vampire, it doesn't kill them, it paralyzes them.
1: Yes, it puts them in torpor.
0: So if you could stake a vampire and then you systematically consume the vampire.
1: Okay, I could see that.
0: That would be a sort of ritual that would allow you to become a vampire. You
1: could do that. You could. Without
0: you, being enthralled to the vampire. Yeah. And potentially, if you did that, you would also gain control of any spawn that were enthralled to that vampire.
1: I could see that. I could also see either burning or letting the vampire burn by sunlight and then making a tea because we discussed tea. So making a tea out of its ashes. Okay. Kind of morbid, but um, it's not hot chocolate, I, I, would, I promise.
0: I would almost make that a cure for vampirism.
1: Oh, that would be a great cure. Yes. Well done. Great idea. Yeah. Okay. All
0: right. Maybe eating troll flesh would let you regrow lost limbs. I like it. And maybe eating a myconid would just make you trip bars.
1: <laughs> because that's how you do. And we've had several of our Monster mesh creatures that come along these lines that that is their defense. Is it just it sends you on a journey. <laughs>
0: yeah, that prismaticillin
1: Oh, yeah, that was a fun That one. we
0: made with John from yeah, Tale of the Manticore. That was some great yeah, that, stuff. That was a whole lot of fun. <laughs> so if you wanted to do something like this, I would personally make a bit of a ritual out of it. Yeah. I wouldn't just say, okay, you can just slap it over a cook fire and eat it and get these bonuses Now there's definitely going to be some ritual to it there's going to be a proper way to prepare it to actually get these effects yes I would definitely say that this is something that you have to have the chef feet in order to do oh
1: absolutely yeah no I would um, add you you,
0: you have to have that at least basic level of culinary expertise culinary training in order to be able to perform these rituals.
1: Yes. I would almost require an Intel or wisdom score of 14 plus again, just to make it a little bit more of a challenge to get to.
0: Well, let's just make it 13 plus because 13 plus is the threshold for multiclassing. Okay. And so you would have to know the way to prepare these ingredients. And if you don't prepare them in the proper way, they may have no effect Or they may have an adverse effect.
1: I like that. I like the fact that maybe you roll against a table and you can add your proficiency modifier to the table. But like the first, maybe it's a D10 and the first four are going to be negative effects. And then five and six would be, you know neutral or no effect and then like the last three or four would be some bonus of some sort but that way there's a chance that you know I, even despite your best efforts you kind of screwed up or you didn't know enough to do it and so here's this whether they be a permanent boon or till your next long rest or however that works you could easily do this and this is something we might want to explore later this year to make a yeah. small booklet with these kinds of monster edibles as they yeah, are. I,
0: there are several other supplements out there about cooking and eating the things that you kill in D&D. Okay. I haven't had a chance to look through any of those other supplements yet. So that is definitely something I would be interested in doing is looking at what other people have just to make sure we're not duplicating effort. Correct. But also this is something that I think would be really interesting as a mechanic for the DM to do behind a screen. Oh, yeah. Um. So basically the person with the chef feet Tells you what their bonuses are. Okay. And you tell them what the DC for the ritual is. And they describe how they go about preparing it. And you can alter the DC on your end up or down, depending on how well or how poorly they followed through the steps in the prep. And then you roll behind the screen to see if they succeeded or not, because they may not know.
1: Yeah. I like it.
0: You may not know in the entire processing of the food at the end if what your end result is, is what you wanted until somebody tastes it.
1: Yeah, I like that. And two, I mean, even having them describe how they're going to cook this meal can go to a lot of fun directions. If you've never experienced this in school, there's various videos of people doing it. You can do it if you have kids, have them do it for your people at the table. Tell them to give you instructions on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and follow their directions to the letter. So if they say, grab some peanut butter and spread it on bread, just grab a fistful of peanut butter out of the jar and just <laughs> smear it on some bread and hand it there, there's your sandwich, you know. Those are the directions you gave me. So again, you could really have a lot of fun with
0: that. So one of the examples that I personally came up with for this, a properly prepared black pudding might give you lightning resistance. Okay. An improperly prepared black pudding might dissolve you from the inside out.
1: That is a huge dice roll. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and alternatively, it might require you to harvest the ingredients or slay the creature in a very particular way. I know that you have mentioned this in the past before, that second edition had a bunch of tables for harvesting components that right. you had a percentage chance that went up or down depending on the damage type used yes. to slay the creature yeah
1: so like if you were going to try to grab like a dragon fang or like the venom sack of a basilisk or things like this depending on the type of damage you did how you hit it and it gave you a percentage it very much feels like a monster hunter probably took a good chunk of inspiration from these old tables of D and i could see that and again this would have very much a monster hunter feel that said monster hunters a very popular game and it's popular for a reason. So adding this to your game, developing a table that your characters would know about, isn't the worst way to do it. And also could add a bit of challenge because if your characters are trying to say harvest something from a creature that has bludgeoning resistance, but you have to bludgeon it to death in order to preserve whatever item you're trying to extract from that creature. It is going to add a layer of difficulty to the battle. Is it going to be easy enough that they can do it? Is it going to be enough where they fight and push that party to the limit where they're saying, screw it, we need to use magic or piercing or slashing weapons because we're now in danger and we don't want to lose the party for this little component that we can get. So again, it definitely adds some challenge.
0: Yeah. All right. And then... As a final tangent, I actually even put this in our outline (laughs) as a tangent because it isn't specifically food related, but food is involved. Yes. Food is spectacle because without focusing on the actual food, banquets and feasts are a great way for rewarding the completion of particularly grand tasks I get
1: that who doesn't like to get yeah, hey you know what good job here's a meal i mean that's the basic fee for friends helping you move right pizza and beer i mean exactly it's reward for the task
0: i mean you know beowulf look exactly. at beowulf beowulf goes out and kills grendel and they come back and they have a great big feast as you do and then grendel's mom shows up
1: you kill someone's son they're gonna be a little miffed generally generally, speaking,
0: generally. yeah. Um, <laughs> And the goal of these events typically isn't to have dinner. It isn't to just eat the food. It's to make connections. Right. It's networking.
1: So this also brings me up to the few people that may not have played Skyrim before, but the Theramore dinner. You know, is it Theramore, the elves,
0: Thalmore,
1: Thalmore. Yes, Thalmore dinner, where they have in the banquet, and you have to go and sneak in to sneak the person out and get some information. But that was a huge banquet, and you were there to pick up storyline and get some clue about people and factions. And this is a great way to present new factions or new political type things in a party for that role play.
0: Right. And these banquets are also, going back to last week's episode, a great way to show off regional cuisine or class divisions in cuisine. Oh, absolutely. And it might give you an opportunity where you could say, gain a bonus or a penalty on charisma checks by demonstrating whether or not you know the proper etiquette to eat a specific meal.
1: Do you know which fork, in fact, is the salad fork?
0: Correct. Yeah. Do you know that whenever someone at this harvest festival fills your mug with beer, etiquette is that you automatically take a huge swig and belch, right? You know, and failure to do that is a huge affront to whoever gave you their beer. You know,
1: I could definitely see that. Absolutely. Yeah. You could do a lot of things, charisma and culture wise and look up some, regional culture as food again don't be a dick Manage appropriation, don't be stereotypical about it. But there is a lot of ritual. There is a lot of culture with food. Versus, you know, if someone offers you something, do you grab it off the plate? Or are you supposed to politely refuse once
0: before taking it? You know, that kind of thing. Are you the whole thing with fairy food?
1: Yeah, I was gonna say with fairy food too. Yeah, there's that guest right. I did want to bring up one thing that's definitely on here. If your party's starving and walking through the wilderness and then you come across a bacchanalia, there's just an open feast and everyone's invited.
0: And then everyone has to make wisdom saves to leave. <laughs> yes,
1: because you got to be a good guest, right? They haven't said you could go yet. <laughs> right.
0: All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of everything that we have planned for tonight. tonight. We had discussed this. I think we are skipping yeah, we, the 28th Yeah, episode. we are going
1: to take a holiday break. I know last year we had talked about doing another Christmas lore one we may come back to that afterwards we'll have to discuss that the year has kind of passed us up and it was Christmas before we realized it
0: yeah and especially the last two or three months have been insanely busy for both of us so yeah we are going to be taking Wednesday the 28th off so we're going to be skipping the episode that would be coming out right after Christmas and we will be back on Friday January 6th with an interview on our Twitch channel with Sam Lee, solo RPG creator, uh, author of Anamnesis, which is actually a really fun solo game. I got it in my trans rights TTRPG bundle, and I finally got around to playing it a couple weeks ago. And yeah, it was great. I loved it. So yeah, we will see you then. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, please send us an email under commentaste at gmail.com. We still have a presence on the burning husk of Twitter. (laughs) If you want to get in touch with us there, we are at UCT Homebrew. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Twitch, and Mastodon. On all of those, we are at Undercommon Taste. On Mastodon, we are at Undercommon Taste at Dice.Camp, because we have to have that server thing. I still haven't figured out entirely what Mastodon's.
1: Mastodon's a bit wonky. And honestly, whenever you hear Mastodon, I think of the metal band. So that's just me.
0: We are also on Tumblr now, also at Undercommon Taste. Haven't posted anything there yet. I may, I may not. We'll see.
1: I need to join Tumblr still. That's on my to do list.
0: We are also on Patreon, patreon.com slash Undercommon Taste. That's where we put all of our write ups. I finally got around to putting up the Hawthorns that we made with GM Cassie. Excellent. Two and a half months ago. I thought I had uploaded it and I forgot to.
1: It's been a wonky couple months. It
0: it has. It really has. And so I've still got the Spine of the Mountain that we made with Goblin Archives and the Shaduce that we made with Greg and Shelly.
1: The Shaduce was a lot of fun.
0: It was so much fun. (laughs) Anyway, that's that on Patreon. If you want to help support the show financially, please Consider going over and becoming a patron. We are looking at potentially doing patron exclusive episodes in the coming year now that James's class schedule has eased up a little bit. Just a little bit. And finally, we are on Discord. You can find a link to our Discord in the show notes, and we would love for you to come over and chat with us.
1: If this is your first time finding us, welcome. We're so glad you found us. You can find the rest of our podcast wherever you normally listen to your podcasts, or on Apple, iHeartRadio, Google, Spotify. All of those, as always, if you could please give us a rate and a review, this helps increase our visibility and it lets us know what kind of content you want to hear more of.
0: And once again, because I forgot it again, we have an itch store under commentates.itch.io. So if you want to help support the show financially, you can go over there and pick up a copy of our liminal horror module beneath the lake for $3. And there's more stuff coming when I have time to finish working. on it. (laughs) And with all that out of the way, That is it for tonight's episode. Stay safe. We will see you all on January 6th, 2023 with Sam Lee on twitch.tv slash undercommon taste at 9 p.m. Eastern.
1: Happy holidays and happy gaming.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of Undercommon Taste. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Kroll and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marykroll.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash our logo is by David Sutherland you can find more of David's work on deviantart.com slash davidsutherland or on instagram.com slash willx underscore 73 we'll be back in two weeks so stay safe and we'll see you then